Hello and welcome to Beyond Markets by Julius Baer, a series featuring conversations with experts to share recent market developments, key insights and strategic inputs from around the globe. In each episode, we cut through the noise to bring practical advice and macro research on today's shifting economic and market landscape. Please listen to the important legal information at the end of this podcast. Hello and welcome to the Julius Baer Beyond Markets podcast, recording from the UK. I'm Mark Winspan, Head of Investment Advisory for the UK. And today I'm joined by Tan Kuhn, a colleague in the portfolio management team. Tan, welcome. Hi, Mark. Good to be here. In this podcast, we're going to be discussing the current company earnings season, always an important event. And this one is no different, particularly in the context of the current wide swings in stock prices that we're seeing. And when we look at this year's sell-off in equity markets, this has been disproportionately driven by sentiment. The policy response to the pandemic, both from central banks and governments two years ago, has been a significant tailwind to asset prices. However, now as central banks around the world, led by the US Federal Reserve, start unwinding this accommodation, we've seen a consequent contraction in stock market valuation. And the biggest question for a long-term investor is whether the end of easy money marks the end of the equity bull market. What do you think, Tam? It's a difficult question, especially to answer on the short podcast, more so without a crystal ball. I'll try to frame it this way. Stock returns are essentially driven by two things, sentiment and fundamentals. So simply speaking, fundamentals are how much profit companies are making and how quickly they're growing these profits. Sentiment, on the other hand, reflects how much investors are willing to pay for this earning stream. So our listeners are probably familiar with the valuation multiples, such as price to earnings ratios. So take the S&P 500, for example, an index of large companies in the United States. Last year was a phenomenal year for recovery for these earnings of those companies. After the pandemic wiped out two years' worth of earnings growth, it took only one year in 2021, not just to regain the 2019 earnings levels, but also to end up 25% higher than the pre-pandemic. Now, much of that profit recovery was supported by fiscal stimulus, by vaccines and the reopening, of course. Even so, the valuation multiple of the S&P 500 actually contracted in 2021. Investors knew the stimulus-driven earnings recovery would be short-lived. Fast forward to 2022, the hit to sentiment that you mentioned earlier has taken equity valuation back to the pre-pandemic level even though these companies are still projected to grow their earnings by over 5% in the next 12 months. So, Tom, what you're really saying is that sentiment is only a short-term driver of asset prices, but the proof is ultimately in the pudding, as long-term equity performance really depends on companies' ability to deliver profit growth, even at higher levels of interest rates. And if you put this another way, actually valuations are generally a bad market timing signal in the short term. We look at the correlation between the price earnings multiple and the subsequent 12-month price, it's a mere 0.1, so not correlated at all. However, this prediction power substantially increases the 10-year returns to 0.9, indicating that valuation really does matter for long-term returns. Therefore, it's important for long-term investors to focus on the earnings outlook of businesses. So, Tan, what have we learned from the latest results season from the US? Exactly. First, let's look at the scores on the doors. First of Friday, the 6th of May, about 89% of the S&P 500 market value have reported their results. Over three quarters of these firms beat analyst estimates. 
and the size of their beat is closer to 7%. So a pretty healthy level compared to history. If I add so what I've seen on European companies, the last general update I saw was that we were around half of European companies haven't reported. Europe tends to be a little bit behind. 67% are beaten on Q1 earnings and 76% on sales. The highest levels in, in at least 10 years are well above historical averages. So on balance, a pretty strong and solid result in Europe as well. But if we go to and beyond the basic statistics of beats and misses, what are the key themes that you've seen during this earnings season? The first quarter was not a typical quarter in many ways. So we started the year on the back of a surge in COVID cases due to the Omicron variant. Then we had the Russia's invasion of Ukraine and then many sanctions that came after. If you're CEO of any company, it's been a pretty busy start to the year. In the US, Omicron was most severe in January, but then cases quickly fell off. We saw how this affected many companies in the healthcare sector, especially companies that produce medical supply, equipment or technology. Because hospitals were so busy with COVID patients, they had to delay or lower the utilization of elective procedures, which then affected the sales of medical devices from surgical tools to the big ticket orders for large systems. Omicron was also affecting doctors and nurses, which then worsened the labor constraint in the healthcare services. And that in turn weighed on the sales of special drugs and therapies that require specialists to administer. However, on the bright side, as the Omicron wave receded in February, these companies saw hospital utilization normalize fairly quickly in April. A few diagnostics businesses enjoyed a surprise pickup in COVID testing sales, and companies that have bioprocessing capacity continue to see sustained demand beyond just vaccine manufacturing, mostly because of the higher research and development spending from pharmaceuticals and biotech firms. Yeah, so this is quite interesting because the results from the healthcare names were actually continue to be quite strong. If we sort of move on a little bit, we mentioned earlier about the fiscal stimulus from the pandemic. A lot of that has now run out at the end of last year. Many uh, investment watchers are concerned about the consumer segment, especially with the recent high inflation. What should you read here? I think it's worth mentioning that from bank earnings, the executives are still pretty positive on the consumer demand outlook, given the high level of excess savings still in the system. Having said that, we expect these large deposit balances to get eroded quite quickly, given inflation and higher borrowing costs. I think this was corroborated by consumer defensive companies, from your home and personal care to restaurants and retailers. The underlying demand remained fairly solid for the first quarter. Pricing was the main source of revenue growth, unsurprising given the consumer price inflation. But traffic and volume have definitely moderated and we've also heard a degree of down trading as consumers opted for cheaper options or smaller order size at restaurants. On the other hand, I think product segments that target middle to high income consumers continue to do well as inflation squeeze wasn't as bad for them compared to the lower income households. Margin was a resounding headwind here and logistics is a headache. Companies struggle to find ways to mitigate higher costs, given especially because of labor constraints and raw material inflation. For some businesses with commodity input, they can hedge the prices to some extent, but a large portion of the cost base cannot be hedged, such as packaging, transportation, logistics, 
that's also an area where we saw record margins for some of these transportation companies, both in the air and sea segment. Companies that sell higher value products, for example, luxury goods, pharmaceuticals, they scramble to get the products delivered, flying materials in instead of waiting for sea shipment. I think that competition to execute on sales will keep pressure on supply chain for a while until we see materially softer demand. It's been interesting to know on the consumer area that we've, that given the challenging backdrop, we've recently downgraded the consumer cyclical sector to underweight. Over the last couple of years, the sector has definitely benefited from the pandemic outbreak as consumers shifted from services to goods, further amplified by the stimulus packages in the US that we've talked about. From the pandemic lows until November 2021, consumer cyclicals outperformed the broad market by over 25%. Going forward, we do now see a lot more headwinds for the sector. Excess savings are dwindling, while consumers are actually shifting from goods, especially big-ticket items to services. High oil prices, negative wage growth is also putting a dent on disposable income and demand for consumer goods. And actually, valuations, although they're partly reversed, consumer cyclicals are still trading significantly above their historical average based on 12-month forward price earnings ratios. So for us, they remain vulnerable to a further rise in bond yields. So that effectively is a basis for our decision to underweight the sector. Tan, that's on the consumer side. What about industrials and enterprises? The industrial companies face the same supply chain, labor and margin pressure, because they pretty much rely on the same logistical infrastructure to move their goods and raw materials. However, what we noticed was surprisingly strong order book, which gives them good revenue visibility into the rest of the year and next. Nonetheless, I suspect there is a pull forward of orders given everyone is trying to secure the supply. An interesting anecdote I heard on an earnings call from a semiconductor company is that some of their bigger customers had to buy washing machines just to rip out the chips to build their semiconductor modules. So we're definitely not there yet in terms of resolving the semiconductor shortages. On the enterprise side, and this is where a lot of the FANG names have exposure to, so enterprise cloud demand was solid. The big players continue to ramp up hiring and capacity to meet demand. However, most of these big tech also have other non-cloud businesses as their core, be it through online advertising or e-commerce. Just briefly on those two types of businesses, so many advertising names, your social media names especially, continue to see pressure from Apple's iOS privacy changes and the lackluster growth of the active users on their more mature platforms. Meanwhile, e-commerce, which was a low-margin business to begin with, faced some cost pressure uh, from higher fuel costs to lower labor productivity. Having said that, there seems to be a shift in tone from these companies, refocusing on margins and profitability at the expense of just pure top-line growth. And that is a healthy signal, given higher interest rates mean higher cost of capital or higher cost of growth. It's definitely... Sounds like an interesting quarter, not just what's going on with sentiment, but also on the fundamental drivers. Tan, what would be your three key takeaways as you reflect on this result season? Firstly, I think the macro outlook is still highly uncertain, which management from these companies found really hard to provide exact guidance. And some have altogether refused to provide forward guidance since the pandemic started. So this, in turn, makes analyst estimates less informed, and we may see wider beats and misses in the future. 
And secondly, we often point out to the interest rate sensitivity of stocks, especially for companies with much of their cash flows far out in the future. So therefore, they're most sensitive to interest rate, or we call them growth stocks. And yes, as interest rates go up, those cash flows discounted back to the present time will be worth less. So this is similar to the duration concept for fixed income investors. However, equities are not like bonds. Businesses tend to grow the top line and profits together with inflation and interest rates. Also, as interest rates go up, we start to see behavioral changes from these growth companies under the pressure from their shareholders to focus on margins and pulling profitability forward, potentially lowering the duration of their cash flows and reducing the sensitivity to interest rate. So for our more technical listeners, that's not too different from the idea of bond convexity, which is a good thing. Last but not least, I think given the level of uncertainty in 2022, we tend to forget how cloudy the outlook seemed to us back in 2021 and 2020, and yet here we are. My point this year has been that the stock market has seen more recessions and more wars and policy errors than any of us. So we do believe in the resilience and ingenuity of businesses and communities to navigate these uncertain times. And just listening to some of these earnings calls on how companies are creatively adapting the supply chain, it was a good reminder of that. I also think at times like this, it is important to maintain a long-term strategic view. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. For example, if we look at quality stocks, which is a segment that has struggled year-to-date both in absolute and relative terms, Underperformance is ultimately a part of investing for all styles, as many factors can contribute to performance over short periods. However, if we look at the long term, it's undeniable that earnings growth is the key determinant of stock returns. In addition, value creation continues to remain paramount for long-term investors. And history has demonstrated that high-quality companies have all the ingredients to create value and compound capital over long periods. Therefore, they remain an important part of our portfolios and something that's unlikely to change for now. Thanks, Dan, for joining me on today's podcast. Hope our listeners have found the discussion interesting. Please join us at Julie's Bear again soon, where we'll discuss the latest developments in markets, economics, and investments. Until then, all the best and goodbye. You have been listening to Beyond Markets by Julius Bear. If you like what you heard, subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. To learn more about Julius Bear, our people, our latest thinking, visit us at www.juliusbear.com. We will be back with a brand new episode soon. This is a podcast disclaimer. The information and opinions expressed in this podcast constitute marketing material and are not the result of independent financial or investment research. The podcast content is intended for information purposes only and does not constitute an offer, a recommendation or an invitation by or on behalf of Julius Baer to buy or sell any securities, security-based derivatives or other products or to participate in any particular trading strategy in any jurisdiction. Julius Baer does not accept liability for any loss arising from the use of the podcast content. Please refer to www.juliusbear.com forward slash legal forward slash podcasts for further important legal information.